We're going to continue in the art of prayer before we dive in. So, Lord, we come before you seeking your truth this morning. Lord, I pray that with this message that, one, I could get out of my own way, but two, Lord, that your truth would remain. Lord, I know that the truth that I will share with people in this room today is not one that is unfamiliar. But Lord, I pray that the lies that we have believed that you would shatter them. That the chains that we have let so easily entangle us, that you would break them. Jesus, help us know that you are the way, that you are the truth, and that you are the life. In Jesus' name, amen. What a way to start a sermon, am I right? To start with asking God for help. (laughs) My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside Church. And over the last seven weeks, we have been in a sermon series called The Art of Being, a series devoted to the call to abide in Jesus. The art of abiding or the art of being with Jesus is cultivated when we step into the spiritual practices. And over the last seven weeks, we've talked about different spiritual practices from study to prayer to silence and solitude to service and to Sabbath. All of the spiritual disciplines are designed to help us create space to be with Jesus so that we can be transformed from the inside out and then we can live the way Jesus lived. Today, we're going to talk about one of the characteristics that define Jesus' life. Because our desire behind this sermon series is not for us to be more like me or you. (laughs) Our desire for this sermon series is that we be more like Jesus. And if we are approaching these spiritual practices for personal gain or to achieve a goal, we are missing the point. This is not about achievement or status or gain. We may live in a consumer culture, but that is not how we as followers of Jesus are meant to live. If these practices do not lead us to be more loving, grace-filled, spirit-led, peaceful, and filled with the truth, then there is no point to them. We must approach these practices recognizing that the point is not the practice itself but what the practice helps us become. The art of being is about cultivating space to be with Jesus so we can grow in our trust of him. And through the trust, we begin to learn that Jesus lived the most perfect human life and we are called to mirror that. We are called to mirror the Prince of Peace. And so let's start our morning with looking at a section of scripture in which Jesus shares a life lesson that we all really need to learn. 
If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 12. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Luke 12, 13 through 15 says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, as in Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This exchange is really interesting because if you look at Luke 12, you'll see that it comes in the middle of Jesus' teaching. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching a crowd. And this man, out of the middle of Jesus' teaching, comes to Jesus with a demand. This man is in the presence of the greatest teacher, the most pure rabbi to ever walk the earth. And instead of asking a clarifying question, (laughs) or, you know, amen, he gives Jesus a demand. And yet, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we're no different. Let's chat about that for a second. We come to God with a list of demands rather than sitting with him and learning from him. We pray for others, but are our prayers for others more about them becoming our image or God's image? Are we approaching the spiritual practices in a way that is a heart of simplicity? Are we approaching them with a willingness to hear, grow, and learn? Are we coming to them with a list of demands? ready to tell God what we need from him or who he is meant to be. Is this how we are approaching Christianity in church? Coming with what we want out of it. We want the best worship. We want those smoke machines. Right? We want to consume. But God wants a relationship. Is this how we approach Jesus, coming to him and saying, take all my sins, but I'm good. I'm going to keep doing what I want. And the crazy part about God is he sees all this. He sees all our demands, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. He sees everything we are doing, and he responds in a way that we don't predict. (laughs) And Jesus does that with this man. See, Jesus responds to this man by saying, hey, I'm, I'm not your judge. I'm not going to decide what you do with your possessions. But Jesus responds in this way because he cares more about the heart than the person's possessions. Jesus turns to the crowd and he uses this as an example of greed and envy. He uses it as an example of what it means to pursue a simple life. Jesus says that our lives do not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I believe a better translation for that in our culture today is our lives do not consist in the abundance of consumption. Consumption of clothing, consumption of TV, consumption of needing the best thing ever. Consumption of food, if I already said that. 
But just like possessions, what we consume shows where our heart really is. Is consumption our way of life? Maybe we don't have spiritual satisfaction because we're looking for a church that we can just consume rather than seeking relationship. Maybe we're too busy demanding from God that we don't see that Jesus is after our hearts. Do we put our worth and value in the things that we own or do we recognize that the creator of the entire universe says that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, that you are a saint? Do we see that? And even though Jesus here gives us plain words that our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, do we trust him? Because we live in a consumer, material, digital world that pushes on us that newer, more, and bigger is better. We live in a culture that preaches at us that we need more, more, and more. And for a lot of us, things aren't just things, they are our identities. But this shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Media and advertisement have reprogrammed our minds, and this is not a political sermon. But advertisement has reprogrammed our minds to tie our worth, identity, and status to our possessions. And the truth is that media and advertisement, all it is is propaganda. And you are the target. You. But you're human. You're not a product. You're not a brand. You are not your possessions. But how did we get here? How do we go from Jesus telling us that our life does not consist of our possessions to having to get plenty of different places to put all of our stuff? From being anxious about getting the new iPhone. How deep is this lie rooted in our hearts? Because greed and envy is a real thing. Where did we learn to lust for more? In my research this week, I found out that prior to World War II, advertisement had nothing to do with it. its like today. Nothing. Media and advertisement were all about quality, longevity, and necessity. It had nothing to do with how a product would make you happy. <clears throat> the advertisement world changed because marketers looked at how Hitler used propaganda can you imagine being in a room with all these different marketers and they're like, we need to change how we pursue things with Americans. Let's, let's follow Hitler's example. Like, who thought that was a good idea? And yet marketers sought after how Hitler reprogrammed a nation through two things, I want and I fear. The advertisement industry saw what Hitler did and decided to reprogram the way advertisement worked. They sought to use propaganda to advertise to the American public, and it worked. Advertisement went from telling us about the quality of a product to telling us how we need it, how we can't live without it, that if we don't have it, we should live in fear because we're not going to be as cool as the people next to us. When we look at commercials today, do we see the quality of a product? Or are we left recognizing that we need this product to be happy? Or we need it to be more manly? 
or we need it to be cool and sit on a brick wall. All of this with I want and I fear. Did you know that we as Americans see 5,000 advertisements a day on average? Sorry to add three of them to this. But these advertisements tell us that we're not fit enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not healthy enough, that we won't achieve peace without it. And the craziest part is that this whole thing, the things that we believe that are necessary for our life, have not been around that long in human history. Things like cars, cell phones, running water, electricity, Wi-Fi, Let's be honest, everybody's gone on a trip somewhere and they show up and they're like, oh, no Wi-Fi? What on earth will we do? We are convinced that the things that are necessary for life are these things, but they haven't been around that long in human history. We live in a consumer material culture And we are called as followers of Jesus to be in the world, but not of the world. And I'm not trying to say that stuff is bad, but our heart and worth should not be tied to it. Our trust should not be tied to something that could be taken away in an instant. And I think it's worth mentioning right now that this message is not about all of us adopting a minimalistic way of life. I'm not calling you guys to be minimalisms or minimalists. The message today is about setting our hearts on what really matters. It is a message to help us recognize that our worth, happiness, and ultimate delight do not come from our possessions. We have to learn to sift through all the advertisement, all the lies that we've heard in our lives that tie our worth to things that don't matter. The practice we are going to discuss today is a practice to help our hearts recognize where truth and worth come from. The practice we are looking at today is an exercise in trust. And as a follower of Jesus, we believe our identity, peace, and worth all come from him. We are meant to be apprentices of Jesus. And in Luke 12, 13 through 15, Jesus tells us that our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And Jesus is our example. Jesus is the master of the art of simplicity. Jesus lived with a heart devoted to one father, a single mission, and lived with very few possessions. By any accounts, people would say that Jesus actually lived a minimalistic life. A life of simplicity that was built on a trust of God. The art of simplicity is important in this day and age because it shows us where our heart really is. And simplicity may mean a lot of things to different people in this room, But just go on a journey with me for a second. Because if our mind is always on our stuff or wanting more, then we won't actually create space to be with God. Our hearts will be divided. See, at the heart 
of simplicity, it has nothing to do with our stuff. It has everything to do with our heart condition. And honestly, it's very difficult to explain this practice. And the easiest place to start is with our material goods. Most of us, most of us in this room have way more than we need. Way more than we need. We have our garages full so we can't even pull our cars in. We have a storage unit to keep the stuff that we can't fit in our garage that can't fit in our house. And I'm saying most of us. But to live a life of simplicity means that you look at all the stuff you have and say, do I actually need this? An easy step forward in simple living is to ask yourself, why do I have this thing? Or the next time you're about to buy something, you can ask yourself, do I actually need this product or do I just want the product? Because want and need are two very different things. Ask yourself if it's necessary. The truth is that this form of simplicity is super easy to understand. But what does it have to do with a spiritual practice? What does it have to do with actually sitting with Jesus and having our hearts be transformed? Well, Richard Foster, who's a guru on spiritual disciplines, says this about simplicity. He said, simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. So simplicity of stuff really is a result of simplicity of the heart. And we must learn to simplify our inner lives. And to do this, we need to understand what Jesus is really getting at here in Luke 12. Because he starts with talking about how our life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. But then he goes on. He talks about a rich fool in verses 16 through 21. And then Jesus shares with us the reason for simple living. So if you have your Bibles, let's continue in that section and read verses 22 through 34. We're going to start with verses 22 through 23. They say this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Jesus sums up that our two basic needs in humanity are food and clothing. I think we can all understand that we all need food, and I really shouldn't have to explain that we need clothes. Notice that in the first two verses, there's nothing about a longing for more or for the very best thing. Instead, Jesus calls us not to be anxious. In my life, I've recognized that in times when I'm anxious, it's really a call to trust in God. And this is what Jesus goes on to try to show us. And verses 24 through 26 says this, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much, of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus uses an example that we can all see. We can all see different birds in the world all around us all the time. The interesting thing about Jesus picking a raven, though, is in this culture, ravens were very unclean. And let's be honest, in our culture, they are too. So if Jesus picks a raven to show how God provides, Jesus is trying to show us that whether you think you're clean or you think you're dirty, God will continue to provide for you. This is one of the most uh, important sections of scripture in my own life. Because when I'm really struggling with my worth, or honestly, when I'm looking at Heidi, and I'm looking at my son Sam, and I'm looking at the fact we have another one on the way, and I'm looking at our house, and all the different projects, and the different bills, and all these things coming up, I get so anxious. (laughs) I get stressed, I get worried, and I just am like, God, what do I do? And I tend to come back to these verses, (laughs) because it reminds me That if God feeds every single animal in the world, how much more are we valuable to him? Of how much more value are you than the birds and every single animal in the world? God continues to provide even when we don't understand it. As Jesus mentions in the next set of verses, 27 through 28. Which says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Once again, another example that we can see. When Heidi and I bought our house, we had two plots of dirt, one in the front of our house and one in the back of our house. And then something crazy happened in California. It rained. And all of a sudden, this dirt became like a green wonderland. I didn't plant anything, and as far as I know, I didn't either. How did our front and backyard that was dirt and gross become like this green haven of plants? the rain, and maybe a little bit of watering in the backyard, just from us. But in reality, we did nothing. Why am I bringing this up? Because I think about that with the lilies in this passage, that we did nothing to care for our front yard or backyard, and yet it grew, and now, because of the heat, it's starting to die and become dirt again. Here in a second and gone in a second. And yet we did nothing. If God is caring for every single plant that needs nutrients, how much more is he caring for us? Why do we worry so much about how God will provide? Are we willing to trust him? Because what we worry about and what we seek after will determine the location of our hearts. And Jesus wants to 
really drive that in in verses 29 through 31. Jesus continues and says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Are we seeking after food, clothes, our possessions, things that cause anxiety in our lives because you can never have enough? There will always be a better restaurant. There will always be a better brand. There will always be a better car. There will always be something better that you can chase after, and it's a nonstop cycle of anxiety. I want and I fear. Or will we seek after the kingdom of God and trust that God has us? Because what we seek after shows who we trust in and where our heart is. And Jesus continues this idea in verses 32 through 34. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I did say at the beginning of this sermon that I'm not calling you all to sell your possessions. But if you begin a journey on a minimalistic way of life, you might be. You might be called to do that. But when I read this, and when I think of what it says about give to the needy, I think what this means is do your bank account, your house, the food you're going to eat, does that matter more than the people that need your help? In my opinion, if we see a need and we can meet the need, meet the need. That is what I believe this is calling us to. And in the final verse, for where your heart is, there your heart will be also. That is the main point in the art of simplicity. Is our heart worried or anxious about our material needs? Is our heart worried or anxious about our spiritual needs? The art of being is about seeking to be with Jesus, but it's also about seeking to be in the kingdom of God, which is available every single moment of every single day. Because as we seek the kingdom of God, we sit with God in his very presence and his very pleasure. John Mark Comer in one of his sermons talks about how seeking the kingdom of God can be summed up in two ways, presence and pleasure. Presence meaning how much time do we actually spend with our conscious mind on God? How much time do we do it? Our mind is so easily distracted. How much time do we actually sit in front of God and allow his truths to rewrite the lies in our minds? Do we actually pray? Because anywhere we are, God is already there. 
the kingdom is available every place we go if we are willing to pursue him. And if we seek him, we will begin to understand that his pleasures are our pleasures. Pleasure meaning if we seek the presence of God, we will be in his presence. If we give God everything we are, he will give us all that we need. God will transform our very pleasures and actions so we can live like Jesus. So do our lives actually mirror Jesus? Do our lives actually show that Jesus is our greatest desire? And we must learn the art of simplicity because it shifts our heart to what really matters, a life with one purpose that is devoted to being in and bringing the kingdom of God down here on earth. And so how do we live simply? Well, there are a lot of different ways that I can explain to live simply, and I'm going to put some tips up in a second. But I want to say before we move forward and look at the tips and get to the invitation slash challenge this week, that we cannot take a step towards simple living if we're not willing to first sit with the Holy Spirit. Because I can tell you, oh yeah, go home, declutter your life, declutter that junk drawer. You all have one. Uh, Don't lie. One. (laughs) Love it. Like, I can say all that to you, right? I can put the tips up. I can, I can encourage you all the ways that I want. But if God is not leading you, it won't last. The Spirit has to be the one that transforms your heart and guides you to what you need to do to live a simple life. I don't know your needs. God does, though. So call on the Spirit. Sit with the Spirit and allow the Spirit to guide you. But if you're having trouble, like I said, I will present some tips. The first tip is that before you purchase anything, ask yourself a series of questions. Questions like this. Am I buying this item for status or need? What is the true cost of this item? Time, money. Did this product hurt someone by being made? Do I actually need this item? And probably one of the most important questions you should ask. Does this item actually fit in my budget? That's important. We should develop a habit of giving things away. Jesus said himself, it is better to give than to receive. We should learn to enjoy things without owning them. This is great as a new homeowner, by the way, guys, because... There are a lot of you in this church with lots of tools. <laughs> I'm looking at Mr. Andrew Higgins. <laughs> and also, when you call someone and ask them for help uh, or just a tool, they tend to come over and help you with a product project, you know? So it's very nice to have. You don't have to own something. Get in community. Ask people for things that you don't have. It's great. You get to know someone new. Develop a deep appreciation for nature. Nature is free. Unless you pay for a parking permit. (laughs) But parks are free. When was the last time we as adults laid under a tree and just simply looked up? 
like we used to do when we were kids. And we used to wonder how the trees were made. (laughs) That takes no money. Recognize advertisement for what it is. It's propaganda. And call out its lie. And when we do that, I think we're led to shun anything that distracts us from seeking the kingdom of God first. And when we seek the kingdom of God first, it leads us to the final tip. We begin to choose what really matters. Our family, our friends, and time with God. And I know this list seems like a list of to-dos and isn't the art of being about being, not doing. Um, But I want to remind you, as we take a step towards Jesus, Jesus shows up. This is really a call to understand the condition of our hearts. And understand what ultimately is our God. What ultimately is giving us pleasure. Because the art of simplicity is a fight against all the propaganda we see throughout our lives. It is our way of following Jesus' words when he tells us that our lives do not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I truly believe that if we write this saying on our hearts, it will set us free. With seeking the kingdom of God, wherever we go, we are set free from the material consumer and digital age. We as creatures are designed to worship. What will we choose to worship? The art of simplicity reminds us that our hearts are made to seek the kingdom of God before anything else. And when we enter into God's presence, we only have one response. And that's worship. So before we enter into a time of worship... I want to give another invitation this week, another challenge. As Andrew uh, switched it up last week with giving us two challenges, I thought I would one-up him and give you three. (laughs) But I want to invite you first to seek the kingdom of God. Pray. Read your Bible. Seek silence and solitude. Do a Sabbath. The first part of this challenge will lead you into the other parts of this challenge. Because being with Jesus transforms us and it makes us want to do what Jesus did. And that's why these last two say this. The second step is to ask the Spirit how you can simplify. Like I already said, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your storage unit looks like. But what I do know is that the Spirit will guide you. That God will not leave you if you pursue him. And then the final one, if you're still having trouble and you're like, Spirit, I have no idea what you're trying to tell me to do. Plus, Nathan gave us this challenge. I guess I should do something. The third one is this. Find one thing. One thing. And either throw it away or give it away. By simply taking this step and doing this activity, you are responding to the Spirit. You show that you are seeking the kingdom of God. And God is after your heart. And God loves you so much that he will guide you if you are willing 
he will set you free. So Lord, I pray that we would have the strength to pursue the art of simplicity. Lord, I pray that we would first seek your kingdom, that we would know that by being in your presence, it leads to us knowing the longing of your heart. Lord, I pray that you would reprogram our minds from all the lies that we see in ads every single day, telling us we're not good enough, that we're not worthy. Lord, I pray that you would rewrite our minds and help us recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Prince of peace. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing else can bring us ultimate happiness. Nothing else can bring us to your presence. And so, Lord, I ask that we would pursue you with all that we are. And Spirit, I pray that you would guide us. Help us know what you want us to do, how we can simplify our lives around the call for your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.